Person of Interest Podcast, episode number 13. Welcome to Maple. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Welcome back to Person of Interest Podcast, a podcast dedicated to uh, Person of Interest on CBS. My name is Daryl. What a novel idea. I know, right? I'm Daryl, and uh, I'll tell you all what you want to know as long as you'll help me get this tracking device off my ankle. Ouch. And I'm Doug, and I'm taking orders, and I'm not asking questions. Thanks for joining us here. Some folks in the chat rooms, most of you listening via podcast, recovering person of interest for season four, episode 13, which originally aired February 3rd, 2015, entitled MIA. Missing in action, that is to say. Mm -hmm. Pretty easy to figure out where that title comes from for sure. You know, I'm really excited. It's great to be back with Person of Interest, and it's also great to look at the calendar ahead of us and realize that we are getting a brand new episode of Person of Interest every week for the month of February. So thank you, CBS, for treating us with some Person of Interest this month. And we're going to be getting to some of that uh, schedule later on. Uh, Doc mm-hmm. H was very uh, nice to send over uh, some information he had about specifically which weeks we're going to get. So you can you can set your calendar and set your clocks to remember to rewatch it because you know I know we did have a dip in uh, in viewership during December when they had that one you know, yeah. in the middle of nowhere, and uh, so this is going to allow people to at least keep up with uh, with their TV watching of Person of Interest. That's right. Well, we want to remind you that this is a podcast that is produced by Golden Spiral Media. And Golden Spiral Media is a listener-supported network of podcasts. One way that you can help support us here at Golden Spiral Media is via Patreon. So we've got a little promo here for you. I don't know if promo is the right word for it, but here, give it a listen. So here for the month of February, we're having some one-on-one conversations with some of our Patreon supporters and getting to know them a little bit. And here's a bit of a conversation that we recently had with Barb, and she tells us why she likes being such an active member of the Golden Spiral Media community. Thank you, Barb. Thank you for taking time out of your day to chat. Thank you for letting us get to know you a little bit more. And thank you for your support, not only financially, but also with the contributions that you make in chat rooms and on Facebook groups and on Twitter and by calling in feedback. And we appreciate you very much. Thank you. You know, and one other thing that I would say, Daryl, is that, you know, I'm in a stage and a position in my life where I am able to financially contribute. And not everyone can, but what they can do and what I would encourage them to do is to go ahead and provide feedback. No idea is a bad idea. Goodness knows, almost every single theory of mine is wrong, which I know Emily is grateful for because Ben isn't dead yet on Falling Skies. (laughs) 
it's it's just such a neat thing to be able to do to exchange a lot of diverse ideas and really think about these shows. You know, I would just encourage people to participate. This is our community, um, and it's it is what we make it. Yeah. Thank you, Barb. You add so much value to to what we do here, and I just want to say thanks. I appreciate it so much. So there you have it, a little listener profile for... Uh, we're going to be doing that all this month in all of the Golden Spiral Media podcasts as we just kind of return a little bit of a thanks to those who do support us in, uh, via Patreon as uh, we want to kind of let them, give them a little spotlight. And uh, as she said, encouraged all of you to send in feedback. We'll get to our, our feedback section of this podcast a little bit later. But uh, thank you, Barb, for uh, participating in that and for your great support. And if you want to support us, you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash POI, where you can find all of our back issues of the podcast, but also a link to the Patreon page, where you can become a Patreon yourself, a patron of the arts. Yes. <laughs> indeedy. Yes, indeedy, as our, my friend Doug would say. <laughs> all right. Well, we are talking about season four, episode 13, as Doug already said, called MIA. This was written by Lucas O'Connor. And I think you've got a little trivia for us on this, don't you? Yeah, he tweeted. He was live tweeting the episode uh, on Tuesday evening, Daryl, when the actual show is on. Oh, is that when the show airs? I completely <laughs> forgot this week for some weird reason. I know why I forgot, but I did forget. It was a good reason. Yeah. He, uh, but anyway, Lucas O'Connor, the writer, tweeted, I was in the same high school class as Dominic himself. That's so cool. That's very interesting. The actor, yeah. his name is Winston Duke, or at least that's the Twitter handle, Winston Duke. Brighton High School. Whoop, whoop. That is very cool. And this uh, episode was directed by Kevin Bray. And Amy Acker had a little bit of a trivia factoid about this one. Yeah, she said that uh, the director's son and her son played in the same soccer team a few years ago. So we've got, you know, all this back and forth going on here. Everybody's related some way. It's it's, it's the old uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing going on here. <laughs> That's right. Six degrees of person of interestage. <laughs> something like that six degrees of machinism oh i like that that's a little scary though when you think about that oh yes we are all connected via the machine yes 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 it's like the borg <laughs> well how are we doing the ratings this week Ah, uh, well i tell you it's uh person of interest got a 1.4 rating uh this time around down from the 1.7 last time around uh that was the fifth place for the night as far as the ratings go for the magic demographic we had 9.19 million viewers which was third for the night so uh, it was you know some of the higher up and i keep saying this every week so i should probably not say it anymore but <laughs> i will say it one last time some of these things that got a higher share had much uh less viewership uh, in terms of actual you know warm bodies in front of tv than uh than person of interest we had 919 but things with uh uh you know higher ones were down in the twos so you know, it, it, it all, it, 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 again, it's the basic, it's the big demographic and that's who they're trying to sell to. So, you know, what can you say? That's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. Yep. But CBS continues to dominate Tuesday nights in terms of viewership and, and for the most part for their, their share and ratings as well. So hopefully that's a good sign to come for a person of interest. We are starting to see some of those shows get renewed. NBC renewed, I think three new shows or three shows uh this three, week yeah three or four yeah yeah so hopefully we'll we'll get some news on the renewal front pretty soon i think it'll get renewed but we'll find out soon 
Yeah, I have no doubt. It should, it should, like I said, is, is, it's, it, it's a great night. You know, Tuesday night, it's got NCIS, NCIS New Orleans, and mm-hmm. then Person of Interest. And the two lead-ins are really great for, uh, Person of Interest. So, so we clean up, uh, because I think partially because of that. Yeah, definitely. All right. What was your rating this week? I gave this one seven GPS micro dots. It was okay. It was kind of hard to follow sometimes. It really jumped. It, there wasn't really a good connection between the two storylines as there often is in POI. They do have a, they do a good job of kind of relating the two, uh, when necessary. But this time it was just, here's two people doing one thing. Here's two people doing something else. And, mm-hmm. you know, very little, uh, uh, commonality between them. So I gave it, I gave it a seven. Okay. Well, I gave it a 7.5, um, which is kind of low for me too, primarily because I felt like it was not, not a filler episode because it was not, not quite that there was more substance to it than that. But, I found it was pretty predictable. As soon as we heard about there being a factory and the factory was going to shut down and then restarted back up, I knew that that's where we were going to end up. I knew that that's where Shaw was probably going to either be or at least have been thought to be. So that was, it took a long time to get to that, which was pretty obvious. And then uh, a couple of little problems I had with the, uh, with the B storyline we'll talk about along the way. So it was a good episode, not great, but hey, it was still person well, of interest. Well, now 7.5 what? Oh, 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 thank you. 7.5 meat cleavers. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, yeah. All right, we have some uh, some ratings from you all out there. Uh, we got some in um, uh, in the feedback. We also got some from the Facebook group. We have uh, Andrew, and this is, I guess, Andrew R., not Andrew J. Andrew said, seven light switches plus two additional weapons in the Chekhov closet. We've talked about Chekhov's. Uh, gun before where you show it in Act One, you got to use it in Act Three or Four or whatever. And actually, we'll see a little later. One of the writers tweeted about a mm-hmm. Chekhov object here, so there you go. I think so. Seven, and he gives a little two additional, but I don't think he's calling it a nine. I just think it's just a little seven plus. Okay. Doc H gave it six tired cliches and half a craniotomy. <laughs> I like it. You will when you hear his. Feedback after the episode, you'll understand. Okay, yeah, I haven't read it yet. When those, I, I like that you and I get to split up the feedback because I hear the audios that come in, I process those, but the written's you take care of, so it keeps me spoiler free on usually <laughs> more than half of the feedback, which I kind of like. He he will delineate those six tired cliches. So there okay. you are. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> In case you're wondering, out of the Facebook group, we got a bunch of things. Uh, we, we, we will usually put a, uh, a special thread just for, you know, comment in here for what you thought of the most recent episode. And it's all spoiler issues, so you can avoid it if you don't want to see it. Benson gave it seven out of ten buckets of lie. Oh, boy. It kind of a shades of the blacklist and the stew maker, if anybody remembers that. See, I haven't seen that, but it reminded me of uh, uh, Breaking Bad when they would put the bodies in the bucket and let them... Just kind of decompose and <laughs> juicify. Juicify. Is that a word? Juicify. It is now. It is now. And by the way, Andrew B. is in the chat room. He says he was calling it a, a nine. So the seven oh, really? plus oh, the oh, two. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. Uh, Joe over on Facebook gave it nine out of ten drilled hands. Oh! Yeah. That looks painful. Yeah, Cindy. That's going to leave a mark. Zachary. Now, this is interesting. Because Zachary is the one who really gave, I think it was... Control-Alt-Delete, a very low rating. 
We gave it a little mm-hmm. higher one. He was very, uh, you know, very, very down on that. He gave this one 10 out of 10. Eight weeks of being wrong about Shaw and two people afraid in Maple. And so I guess that's very interesting. See, he, he really liked this one. If, if I'm reading that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that value right. That's the way I'm reading it. Yep. And last but not least, Andrew Jeeves gave it eight out of 10 Fusco ties. <laughs> That may be his lucky tie, but he needs to either send it off to the dry cleaner or try to pack it in for a new one. That one was pretty stained. Yeah, it was his lucky tie, too, nonetheless. It doesn't look very lucky. That's the way it always happens, because you wear the lucky tie the most, so it's always going to get cut or, you know, drop food on it. Yeah, what's lucky it. about it, though? Yeah. Maybe closes the most <laughs> cases. Know. Who knows? Yeah, it, it helped him that day, for sure. Well, we had two main storylines, as always. Sometimes there's a C storyline, but usually just the two. This one, the, the B storyline involved Fusco, and we saw the reappearance of Silva. She was back. And then, of course, their guy they were working with was Albert Weiss. But the main storyline brought us to a small town in upstate New York, and it reminded me of those small town in Groundhog Day, which this this episode aired the day bef- uh, the day after Groundhog Day. So I don't know if that was done intentionally, or maybe it was just me, you know, loving Groundhog Day the way that I and do. And that would be but, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, a wonderful little town. Yeah, but this was Maple, New York, very sweet little town. And it was interesting to hear they have been keeping. Uh, it, it's one of these. Person of interest has so many things going on, and they have to keep uh, a lot of uh, facts and you know all all straight and whatnot. And, and one of the things they talked about was uh, uh, the fact that they were beyond the reach of their mesh net. You know the little VH VHF uh, antenna system for cell phone calls off the grid that the machine helped uh, Harold Finch set up at uh, the very you know very first episode. So. Uh, but we're, so they're out of the range of that. So they're, you know, just using regular cell phones. They have to speak very carefully. So I'm glad that they made that, you know, they made a point of pointing that out. Because mm-hmm. everything else takes place in New York City. And it's like all this stuff is happening in, uh, you know, beautiful downtown New York, mostly in Manhattan, a little bit in here and there. But anyway, but yeah, so we're finally getting outside people's comfort zone. I, speaking of comfort zones. <laughs> Root and Reese in small town New York. I'm sorry, fish out of water, the very definition of it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, these two are, are very skilled, very city folk. I mean, they don't fit in at all. And when the episodes kind of start out, when they get there and, and the townsfolk, particularly the sheriff, you know, he's a little bit shady. This is, I mean, you got the non- like something's up <laughs> vibe with him before he ever decided to make a move on route. Um, he had no idea how bad of a, of a decision that was, <laughs> but uh, you know, all these just fringe did this X files did this. And, and of course person of interest is very different from those two shows. It's not a creepy show, but still you go to these small towns and it's like weirdness is going on. So I really wasn't sure at this point in the episode, what kind of weirdness were we being dealt was it that the town is up to something or was something being done to the town it turned out to be the latter but anyway i i like these little excursions from the big city from time to time they kind of break up the storyline and and they usually add for some fun and that was the case here and it was at least fun in the way the characters were like you say fish out of water well that puts our characters in a, in a circumstance and an environment that eh, they're not it's not really their cup of tea, so that it that gives the fun. episode a, a, a different feel than uh, than the standard, yeah. uh, you know, background yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, 
I I found it interesting that that Root was saying that the machine did not know where Shaw was. Now, my question after watching the entire episode is, is that what it said, but it's not true? Maybe it does know where it, where she is and uh, just doesn't want them, just was sending them there for some other purpose. Yeah, I know where she is. That's not the issue. You need to deal with this situation with these people and, and Samaritan's influence there because at the very end, I'm going to jump around here, uh, the machine tells uh, Team Machine to stop. And so I'm wondering if, like I said, Root said that the machine does not know where Shaw is, and I find that very difficult, except it's very difficult to believe, except that it is the Samaritan crowd dealing with her. So of all people who should be able to figure out how to hide things from an, another all-seeing AI, certainly uh, Team Samaritan should be able to, and Samaritan itself maybe if it's directing those people uh, specifically. So it still can probably happen. And the machine itself, you know, if, if it can't see that, is it's, it's really throwing it off balance as well. This is something it doesn't have control over, doesn't have surveillance on. And so, uh, look, guys, just uh, let me deal with it. You stop, you know, don't want to, I guess it doesn't want to, uh, you put its assets into danger. So look, just to stop, just do what I'm telling you now and, and go with the numbers and that'll be it. Well, I think this is my crackpot theory or, or two cents on, on the question. I think that the machine does know where Shaw is, or at least knew that Shaw was not in Maple, New York. I think that the machine sent them to Maple, New York, because there was information that they needed to get. And, you know, getting in there and getting that information, learning what they did about what Samaritan is up to with the neural implants, with the micro dots and rescuing the girl that they did, they'll be able to probably get some more information from her. Those were really important. And I think having the extra motivation of they thought they were going after Shaw probably helped them um, to to get the get to that place. I mean, Root wouldn't have tortured that lady or at least Root, Reese would not have allowed her to torture that lady. So that's what I'm saying. I think the machine had the ability to kind of suss out that they were in a unique position to be able to get this information that they needed, knowing that Shaw wasn't there. Uh, so you get to the end of the episode when stop is given to Root. Root sees that as the machine telling that her, her to leave it alone, stop, quit, you know, don't go after Shaw anymore. It's a lost cause. I don't think that's at all what the machine was telling her. I think the machine is telling her, stop looking for her. It's going to come to you. But Root is not going to be able to see it that way. But that that's the way I interpret those events. Yeah, I think it very well be. And she does not, uh, clearly does not want to stop. That is not, uh, that's not right. on her agenda at the very right. least. So this is, which is interesting. Uh, I mean, just, to, you know, the last, you know, two minutes of the uh, episode Root is now turning away from her god, so to speak. That's, you know, that's what she has described the machine as, and she has been trusting it completely, implicitly, and all of a sudden, right now, this is the one thing that pushes her away. Well, it's interesting. We had some, uh, I was keep watching the the, the Twitter feed, especially for Bear. I love some of the things he says. When he doesn't have any uh, part in the actual episode, a lot of times we'll get Kind of like, uh, you know, quotes from people, Aristotle or whatnot. After 
Root, uh, you know, that recent Rooter in with the, uh, the, the chief and, uh, chief wicker. And, you know, he starts making his moves on Root. And then we talk about how he had been, um, uh, he had some issues. Um, he, I think he'd been arrested for, uh, power, you know, abusing his power, but he was let off or something like that. Baird tweeted, uh, a quote from Edmund Burke, the greater the power, the more dangerous the abuse. So there you go. We've got a very mm-hmm. philosophical dog on the, uh, on the show. So who is Edmund Burke? I believe he, oh golly, now you're going to make me think. Well, it's funny you say that you like, you, you, you said like he was a philosopher or something and, and I only know this, this is going to be silly. I only know the, Ed, the name Edmund Burke because that was a character yes. from Lost, but it would make sense that that would also be a philosopher. I, yeah, yeah, it was. Here we go. I pulled it up. He was an Irish, Irish statesman born in Dublin, author orator public theo, uh, theorist and philosopher he he he's that was juliet burke's husband's name yes on yes Lost. yes he, well and he he got hit by uh, the bus that's right oh uh but edmund burke <laughs> is kind of the, the father of uh, what is uh considered uh, uh 20th century conservatism he he he, he he lived in the 19th century but uh but he's been considered the uh in, in the 20th century he's kind of been considered the founder of the conservative uh thought that makes so much sense. When I saw that in there, I, I I feel silly. I should have known this, knowing Lost the way that I do and, and stuff like that. I don't know how this one, either I knew it and it's gone, but whatever it is, it's totally gone now. Uh, when you put that in there, I thought, huh, why is there a quote from Lost in here? <laughs> oh, Daryl. Uh, sometimes I have to shake my head at myself. <laughs> That's kind of hard to do. Uh, you know, you know All right. this poor... <laughs> You know, Chief Wicker, he's he's got a small little town to himself. And he's yep. got, you know, so he's got this this wonderful little power, uh, uh, you know, his little fiefdom. And these two folks, he has no idea, you know, what's going on. He's got a special ops guy. He's got, you know, a, an insane lady here who's uh, who's got her own moves. And one wrong move, and it was a wrong move, but it was one wrong move. And all of a sudden, is he not easy... He's not just got his hand in a, you know, in a funny little hold or his arm around his back. No, he's duct taped and in a bag, in a duffel bag, being pulled yeah, up the stairs yeah. of a local B&B. Now, really, where <laughs> where else was that going to happen? That poor guy just had... When she's pulling him up the, up the stairs, I, I thought... What is in that bag? <laughs> I don't remember them like, what did, what did they bring with it? What kind of arsenal did they bring? I don't know. Because to me, honestly, Doug, I thought it's like she's carrying a body up the stairs. It never occurred to me that she <laughs> she really was until she gets up there and unzips it. And I'm like, oh, well, well, there you go. That explains it. Yes, they're toting him around quite literally. It's in the bag. It's in the bag. Yes, indeedy. The wick is in the bag. Yeah. That guy, you know, making the move on her was just that he had no idea how dumb of a move that was. <laughs> Certainly pay well, for they, they get talking to him about uh, the corrupted footage because it just seems, you know, just perfectly timed that they're trying to find this truck. And just at the time the truck would come in, gee, all the stuff screwed up. And then they have to go get the uh, uh, like the original DVDs and things like that. So clearly we've got Samaritan with its hands in all the computers and uh, and making it and kind of covering its tracks, trying to keep things from uh, being found out about. And while they're... Um, so, so you know, the chief has is completely out of the out of the loop. But, you know, uh, I was going to say Schrodinger. Samaritan <laughs> is uh, is certainly key. Not I'm yet. sorry. 
keeping everybody on the you know out of the out, out of the loop basically he just sends them the checks sends them the orders and thank you very much and and that seems to be its mo that seems to be the way that its people really work whether or not they they're physically or whether or not they're knowingly working for Samaritan or not mm-hmm. they just follow orders just follow orders sir just putting our heads in the sand and uh you know look for most folks okay that's fine you're grateful to have a job you thought you were going to be out of a job you thought the town was going to go under now there's this new opportunity that comes into town i can't fault most of the town's folk for that right they're just looking for an opportunity to provide for their families for the, the most part the textile mill is now open again you know jobs are back right exactly right but uh, I like what Reese said to the lady. What was the lady's name? I didn't write it down. Did you? Golly, I think I missed the, bl- that the blonde one. lady. Yeah, it's the, probably uh, in our notes. Miss Thompson. That's right, Miss Thompson. Yeah, I liked what he said to her later on in the episode where you get anything that's coming to you because you should have been asking questions. I, I certainly liked that. She was in the position to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So the first time, first clue we get though that. There's more of a, an ant farm, and I love the analogy. Seemed perfect, but we we get a clue that there's a there's an ant farm uh, experiment, if you will, going on here. Is is where the homeless man wins ten million dollars. The one guy who had been living off of his trust fund suddenly lost it, and you you know it it wasn't in, 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 until retrospect, but it should have been a clue that hey, this is kind of like what happened in New mm-hmm, York City. Mm-hmm. The machine turned things around and then turned them back just to kind of play around and see what it could do. And that's exactly what it's doing here uh, to experiment on people, learn human behavior, try to figure out how things work and what it can do, what it what, what works best. I mean, it really is an experiment that it's being conducted on this little small town. And what's happening in the um, in the mill when they're uh, they're creating these new uh, tracking devices and also the thing that can, you know, uh, tap into your brain and all that. Uh, that too is an yep. additional, uh, it's more machinery to be able to study humans, not just at the behavioral, behavioral level, but also at the, you know, the, in the brain and see what makes them literally tick. Uh, so, so this ant farm is not just an experiment. It is also a, uh, a free workforce that it uses to, uh, yeah, to create this, uh, this new, you know, new is additional bit of surveillance, even more invasive than, you know, a camera. You know, and we've talked, we, we even joked earlier in this podcast, we called it, you know, the Borg. Uh, you look all across science fiction in Doctor Who, we have the Cybermen who have a little bit of uh, human DNA mm-hmm. in them, right? And uh, so th- that's kind of what we see potentially happening here. When you think about the neurotransplants, and what that could do, you know, we, we know our brains fire off of electricity, electrical synapses, and, and uh, you know, our, our brains are like very much like computers in a way. Of course, an organic computer, but it's not too much of a stretch, at least with our imaginations, to see where the machine, uh, excuse me, Samaritan, much more nefarious than the machine, would be interested in harnessing the power of the human brain. And using a way that it could tap into all of that computing power or and or not only for the computing power, but just as, as a means of, uh, as, as you said, I don't know the word you use, but basically making them slaves or, or, you know, who knows what it would want to do with humanity 
but this interface that it would have at that point, um, not not an interface like Root has in that it, you know, Root still has free mm-hmm. will. I don't see that being the end goal here with these. I see the the end game being pawns and slaves and and the machine using creating an army to do whatever it wills with, and and that's pretty scary stuff. And so we're really going off into the deep sci fi realm when we when we think about stuff like that, but. And it kind of matches up. It's pretty it kind cool of matches up with Greer's view of what humanity needs. Yes, it does. I agree with that. I mean, it really gives us. I was on the TV Times Three podcast earlier this week, and he, he said, "You know, I don't get it. What's Greer's deal here? You know?" And I said, "Well, you know, we got a little bit of a flashback to Greer. We understand that he kind of saw the handwriting on the wall with his one world government and one world entity type of thing, and that's what he's getting with the machine." But why he wants that and thinks that that's best, I don't think we really fully understand yet. But he seems to be really on board with that and has been on board with that for the last 40 years. Yeah, yeah, that seems, that seems to be the way he's going and has been yeah, shooting for that. Um, yeah. One thing I, I thought was really interesting, and, and maybe you can get a little more detail on that, or as far as you know what it, what, what it may mean or not. But they talked about uh, Reese and Shaw were, uh, I'm sorry, Reese and Root were in the, uh, in the car driving around. And, uh, and Root mentions, uh, Schrodinger's cat. That's a little thought experiment about, uh, you know, a cat in a box that they found out whose last name was Schrodinger, as a matter of fact, uh, thought up. He said, you know, if there's a cat in the box and there is a, uh, and I forget exactly the details of the experiment, but there's like some sort of poisonous gas, you know, or a little something that if it gets knocked over, the uh, the gas gets out and uh, the cat dies. But if the cat doesn't knock it over, the cat lo- a cat is alive. When the box is closed and you and no one can see whether the cat is alive or dead, he makes the case, and as Root you know explains in the episode, that the cat is both alive and dead until it is observed. And when that is observed, then the two possibilities collapse to a single certainty. So she kind of considers uh, Shaw to be that cat. They can't see her, and so they. I guess they have to work on the assumption that she could be alive, she could be dead. She, you know, and uh, and so we have to. Uh, you have to keep going and try to uh, go after. Her. And that's another, you know, kind of speaks to why Root did not stop as the machine asked her to at the end. But she mentions, you know, nothing kill, nothing kills that cat. You know, she's talking about, about Shaw again. There's there's mm-hmm. just no way to to take her out. So, yeah. We'll see, but yes, indeed, we uh, we find it at the end that uh, that Shaw is uh, spoilers alive. Uh, but what do you think? Is is there more to that particular analogy, that discussion, that why they would uh, bring that up? No, I think I I took it really at that strictly tying into Shaw and and uh, kind of using it as a as a way to bring up the conversation on whether or not they thought she was alive or dead, and I think that. All three of them, in their heart of hearts, if you were to pour truth serum into mm-hmm. them, you know, would say that the odds are that Shaw is dead. I think Finch definitely thinks that. I think Reese reluctantly believes that, and Root may not. Root may because she's you know she definitely has more faith in Shaw than the others do. But I think that that's really all the, the purpose of it was. But let me ask you, Doug, how do you feel about the fact that, for the sake of the audience, we now know that Shaw is indeed alive 
Would you rather be in the position of Reese, Root, and Finch and not know, or are you glad that we now know? This, I'm of two minds on this one. This, uh, you know, is one of these things that you could, if if it goes on for too long, it's like they're dragging her along, you know, kind of, oh, is she, is she, is she? And every week, you know, wondering and all that stuff. And the other, the other side have, with the, uh, with the reveal is to say, well, well, there's no, no surprise anymore. So, you know, there's, there's negatives to both of them. I, I'm glad, frankly, that we did get to see that uh, Shaw is alive. At least, at least deal with that and let those of us know who had predicted it that we were absolutely wrong. <laughs> And, uh, and so, you know, oh, well, okay. So, but at least we've got that cleared up. Shaw in that situation, I mean, you know, she's in a, you know, a bed in, in maybe, I don't know, a hospital or at least a medical facility of some sort. And as a uh, pregnant actress, that's, that's the perfect place for her. Uh, so, you know, it's not going right. you know, to mess any of that up. Um, and if she goes into labor, then she's all set. But, yeah, so that so I'm I'm glad that they actually did instead of string us along uh, week after week after week wondering if that's uh, when that's the case. So, um, so yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah, I wish they would have waited at least at least one more episode, maybe maybe two. Uh, we'll see how long they stretched out before the the actors, not the actors, but the characters know before. I would have liked to have maybe found out maybe one episode before they find out. So if we find out, if they find out next week, then okay, we got that. But I kind of wanted to play the game a little bit longer. And so now I don't get to play the game anymore. So it puts, I, I was enjoying kind of being in the same position as our characters and trying to pick up clues that they were and decide for myself. I was already of the opinion that she was still alive, but and I still don't know how she survived that, that bout with Martine, unless, I mean, clearly she didn't get shot in the head. Like Martine was aiming, standing over her about to do. So, uh, I don't know if we'll ever get shown what happened in those, in those moments as the freight elevator lifted away. But, but anyway, I, I would have liked to have been in the dark a little bit longer. Well, they do manage to, uh, go along with the Schrodinger's cat uh, uh, analogy there when they finally do find the truck and mm-hmm. open it up to find whether or not Shaw is, you know, alive or dead. And it's now she's, she's just gone. And they find a gurney, yeah. a drilling saw. And it's like, and the, the question was, was asked properly, why would they, you know, shoot her and then try to save her? You know, I mean, you could, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to necessarily, you know, shoot her in the head and try to, 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 to subdue her. There's, there's better ways to do that. Martine, when we do see a little bit of the replay of what happened at the stock exchange, we do see she's got a, a bit of an entourage there. So that wouldn't have been uh, too difficult. But, uh, so that is kind of strange. Um, and then we move on. And, and now that, you know, now that we're in, in hindsight here, we realize all these questions that, uh, all these things we're finding out about are about somebody who is not Shaw. So we, they talked to Dr. Vic, Victor Haskell, who gave some advice to someone who was doing a cranial operation. And, um, we find out this. So, yeah, again, at, at the beginning, it was like, well, if they'd shot Shaw on the head, why would they then try, you know, all that? So, so, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just didn't add up. And, uh, and, and which leads them to finding out about the corporation buying the textile mill and, 
you know, all, all stuff like that. So they they now you know the repurposing of it all, and they, and again we're 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 moving over to find this uh, this uh, this person. Ultimately, that is not Shaw, right? But um, but I will say right there, we did see the drilling saw. Okay, okay here's the drilling saw. There's Chekhov's drilling saw, <laughs> which I didn't even consider it to be a, a Chekhov moment. For, to be, you know, it, it was. I saw it more of a hey, there was some uh, surgery that happened here, but for it to come back in later was was great because I wasn't expecting well, that. The, so that the was writer well had tweeted that's the Chekhov's drilling saw when we saw it used. Then mm-hmm. later on, there you go. That's right, that's, that's right. the only reason I even uh, uh, thought about it at the time. Oh yeah, okay, Chekhov's drill. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, and this is the moment in the episode. As soon as the mill is brought up, I'm like, okay, that's where we're going. And then it, it just seemed like it, like why they didn't then go, okay, well, we need to go to the mill. It was going to shut down. Now something has happened to save it and all this other information that they got from the doctor where he's saying something's up. We've got this thing on my ankle. The mayor used to work at a gas station. We already know that the police chief is is very questionable as well. To me, that was like, well, clearly we need to go to the mill and they kind of ran around town looking for other clues. And I know they were looking for the truck, but to me, it just seemed like you're going to end up at the mill. You guys are sharp here. I don't know why you can't see the fact that you need to skip a few steps and go straight to the mill. Do not pass go, pass go or collect $200, <laughs> but whatever. Harold, $2 billion. I guess that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So that was one of the things that kind of bothered me. It was it was clearly telegraphed that they were going to the mill, and it took them another thirty minutes to get there. <laughs> they just listen to you. I know. Now, that was. I thought that was interesting that we had a. You know, that we talked about uh, Miss. Uh, what's her name? Uh, I can't remember her name. Miss Thompson. Yes, Thompson. But she, that wasn't her original name. She was Marianne Holst. She had a heart attack. She had died officially on the books, uh, so to speak. Uh, wakes up with a new pacemaker. In Maple, you know, completely new life. And it's, you know, this is another one of those, you know, made to order, uh, lives that Samaritan has put together. I, I thought this was a, a good reminder of what this, this force can do, what this AI can do. It can actually, you know, work that all out to, uh, you know, gr- grab dead people from over here and over there and, you know, bring them back to life and stick them back in here. It's like, you know, it's a town full of zombies or something, but yeah. Yeah, and it's not too much of a stretch because we saw early in the season where it had manipulated the elections to get people in place everywhere. So when we see, hey, you know, we have the mayor and we have the police chief and this person was in the hospital and it's now over here. It just it was not a, a, a leap at all for us to be able to to see that. And same thing really with the micro dots, right? We had the the computer in every or laptop in every home that the one guy was trying to do. Well, here we see a facility that that went under the radar or, you know, not that they would have been able to stop every operation anyway, but we see kind of a similar thing happening here. Under the guise of this, this other thing is happening, which is going to give the machine the ability to see into every home like the tablet. It was, I said a laptop, but it was a tablet for every child. So again, some of these things that they had kind of planted in earlier in the season are paying off in a, in a bit of a way here. Yeah, so they finally do get to the uh, to the mill, and um, shipping these little micro dots with trackers in them all over the country. To who knows what they're going to be used on? Could be used on anything because they're they're small enough. Some very good advice from Reese when the shooting starts. Duck. Thank you. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then we see the neural implants and the whole bit. And, and this is really, I think, you know, what the machine was trying to do. Okay, if you want to search for Shaw, fine, because it just so happens that in the same little town, I've got something you guys need to deal with. You know, so that's that seems to be the the impetus behind what the machine is doing, uh, it, it, why he's pushing him to um, to Maple. And we find, ultimately, exactly. we find Dahlia Jones, who is a secretary at the stock exchange. I thought I liked the way they were, you know, kind of relaying. It could have been just any, you know, person, any brunette that uh, kind of semi sort of fit Shaw's description to, to, to get them get them there. But, yeah, they related it back to that, and I thought that was good. She was the first guinea pig for those implants. And, uh, oh, that's, uh, that's yeah. I, you know, this is, yeah, the, the, congratulations. You're the first automaton. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's right. She'll be a cyborg before you know it. <laughs> it. Again, it was a little bit convenient that right as they figure out that it's not Shaw, Finch comes back and says, oh, I got the blood test results. Not it's, it's not Shaw. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Where was that 20 minutes ago before we <laughs> blew up half thank the you. place and risked our lives to... Oh, well. Oh, man. Mrs. Jones is probably happy. Yes. Well, after all the action dies down, we get a lot of good lines in here. I wrote a few of yes. them down, but uh, but I it was a really great. And uh, thank you, Doc H. I didn't make a use of it, but Doc H sent us a like a the full script. It was from a uh, a closed captioning mm-hmm. application or website where you can get you know closed captioning data for you know watching it on uh, watching the uh, video of it at uh, at home, but. Oh man, the machine knows where Shaw is, but if she does, she won't tell. And and so that's that's something for us to to try to guess, try to figure out if, uh, like as we have discussed, maybe it does, and it's not something we can deal with right now. So the machine is saying, mm-hmm. "Don't go there." But I, I think it was Harold who said, "I want to hold out hope, but hope is painful." So it's we're not we're not sugarcoating it. Oh, she's out there somewhere and we'll get but it hurts, you know. It's not it's it's while you're waiting for what you're hoping for, you know, you have to endure uh to get to that spot. So uh so I, I, it was a good uh, good little uh, reminiscent line for uh, for for Finch to say, "Yes, we we're all, you know, all holding out hope. We remember we remember her, but we want to we want, we want to remember that it's not a uh, not an easy thing to to hold out that hope. Yeah, it's like those situations where, I mean, exactly like this. Someone goes missing, you know, someone in your family, or you hear it on the news, and and you when when the news comes back, even if it's, you know, they they pulled some cars out of a lake here a year or two ago. They found some bodies inside, and it turned out it was some kids that went missing thirty years ago. Wow, and you know. The general consensus in situations like that is relief because now that family knows and they can bring closure, right? And so that's the situation that they're in right now where they don't know. And that's the worst mm-hmm. because hope is emotionally, it's, you're, in a, you're in flux and it's hard. Sure it is. And I, I, I think they're all in a tough spot and, and not able to handle it emotionally uh, the same way. Obviously, Root's having the, the biggest time with it partially i think because of her emotional connection to shaw and i think partially just because she's probably the most emotionally unstable of the oh bunch. yeah i hadn't thought about that and and i think too that the machine doesn't want their 
their overarching mission, two things. Number one, deal with Samaritan. Number two, just saving the numbers, that sort of thing. Uh, they can't yep. let this pursuit of Shaw completely consume them. Uh, otherwise, they will, number one, lose track of these other two uh, necessary things that have to go on. But also, uh, they could get sloppy. You know, if you are, if you are uh, obsessed if you're going after Moby Dick and you're completely obsessed, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. So, so I think that is, you know, trying to save them from themselves. Root at this moment is not ready to give that up. And, but, but at least it's not the whole team. So, um, so we have to, uh, you know, I think that's an, an acceptable situation at this point, at least from the point of view of the machine. So yeah, that's 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 something that the I, I wonder now if we're not going to if maybe the B story now is going to be uh, in future episodes is going to be Root looking for Shaw on her own. Yeah, you know, I wondered I wondered that too, particularly when Root tells Harold goodbye. Well, I mean, she didn't say that because she's just leaving him for on his own for dinner. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she walked away from not only Harold. I think she's walking away from the machine as well, as you mentioned earlier. The machine has been her god, and now the machine basically said, stop. And to her, that was like the machine saying, give it up. And that's not I don't think that's at all what the machine was saying. I think the machine was saying, stop looking for her. It's all gonna it's all gonna work out. You need you're where I need you to be, so stop, you know. Uh, but she didn't interpret it that way, so I don't know. Uh, well, she may be the B story, or she may be gone for a few episodes as well, uh, which would Maybe I don't know. I haven't looked ahead. I don't. I wonder if we'll see. If maybe that's why they brought Sylvia or Silva, excuse me, back into the equation because not only so that Fusco would have someone to pal around with in this episode, but maybe because they need some other characters to do what they need to do while Shaw and Root are out of pocket. But I don't. I don't know. I haven't looked ahead to see if that's the case or not. And then ultimately, we see yes, Greer with Shaw, and Shaw had a great line: "If this is the afterlife, it sucks." So, yeah, very Shaw-like line there. But, you know, and that's the thing, right? Because we didn't know if she was going to have the implant in her head. Like, if she, would she be Shaw or would she not be Shaw? And at this point, she does seem to still be Shaw. She didn't look like she'd had any type of incision or anything done on her head. So I don't think she's been implanted with one of those neural transmitters. So at this point, she does seem to be Shaw, the Shaw that we know and and love the way she is. Uh, the one we know and love. Well, yep. we had a B story this time around. We had uh, Finch going to Fusco, and <laughs> Fusco is having a real tough time because he's trying to cover for Reese's little jaunt up to Maple. Um, you know, th- this is one of those things that, you know, he, I was wondering how they're going to handle this when it made Reese a part of the um, the police force, the New York City police force. So if he really does have to go running off now, what, you know, is he taking a personal day, you know, not feeling so good, you know, I, I so this is not too much of this guys. If, if you're listening, not too much of this because yeah, it, it starts to, you start to lose a little of the real, realistic um, element of this area. Yeah. Well, he's been away more and more as the season has progressed and he has had to, move away from his cover as he's as they've as they've learned to sidestep the cover and, and all those other things it's making it hard on fusco it's kind of funny too i think a little bit doug to think that the nypd still thinks he's one of their own <laughs> and he's not <laughs> they haven't figured it out 
The machine did its job of, of implanting him into a their system. A great cover story. That's true. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Fusco's, uh wants to see, get a number, wants to do something. He's feeling a little stir-crazy. I guess they just don't have enough to do down at the NYPD. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a bit odd, but I don't know. I've never sat behind a detective's desk. Maybe that's yeah. realistic. Didn't seem realistic to me, but okay. So, uh, so yeah. Um, and this is, again, what Team Machine is or was founded for to uh, solve, you know, solve these kinds of issues, save uh, victims or arrest perpetrators. And they uh, get a fellow named Albert Weiss who's been on the witness, witness list of a couple of missing persons cases two years apart. And so um, Fusco goes to check him out and uh, he meets up with uh, Silva who's also got, a, got eyes on the same target. It was... Yep. Uh, it was it was good to see that they are bringing, like you said, that maybe we we're going to need her as a uh, as another you know actor on the stage while a couple others are are off it for the moment. And she was a great uh, a great character when we first met her when uh, Reese was doing the Police Academy. But uh, so, but Fusco really does uh, get, we we got to know some of her personality. He, he once again sums up in a in a one liner for you'd make a good you'll make a good detective but a terrible spouse. <laughs> Yeah, and she's experienced. I mean, she was back in the in the police academy back in that episode, but she was also undercover in the police academy. So she she does have some experience, but there were a couple of times in this episode where she was about to make some mistakes or what he deemed to be some mistakes, and she did, mm-hmm. frankly. And he was there to to kind of help guide her a, a little bit, both while they were at the restaurant trying to do it in a nonviolent way. I think what she would have done probably would have been a mistake. Uh, definitely going to that that house by herself was a huge mistake that that she made. Again, he bailed her out of that. I like Fusco as yeah, he's been you know usually the part of the comic relief, but I like it when yeah. they cast him as the mentor. Um, in this, yeah. I, I don't know if they've done it before. He has you know given some other folks some advice, but here a very obvious positioning of him as the you know i am the master you are the padawan lunar and and he does a great job with that we give a little more when uh when the actor and it's oh um kevin uh oh for crying out loud what's his name kevin chapman when kevin chapman has the the dramatic portions of the fusco role we've seen him you know when he was uh, tied to a chair and beaten and you know that mm-hmm. sort of thing and how he the, I think his acting he's very he's got a wide range here and he does a great job with it all the wisecracking New York detective the um, but also the concerned you know uh, ex- experienced detective trying to give some advice to uh, an up and comer so I thought that was a I thought he did a great job with that yeah I hadn't even thought about that but you're you're right for sure and I liked the uh, you know, when when Silva goes back home and it's all, uh, you know, it winds up being a setup to get Weiss to come out and uh, try to take her out because of what she knows. Then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they they ha- we see that they've worked together and there is a time for violence. And, you know, this, this is this is the time. So this is the time. I got to say that when she went to his house alone, dumb move, stupid move. Uh, I was a little bit surprised that he would have a house in his name that had all of that stuff <laughs> in there. He was a smart guy. This was a, a thing that I really felt like was the weakest part of the episode. This is a very experienced hitman, serial killer, killer for hire, you know, whatever, however you want to term it, 
serial killer, I guess, technically, in, in the technical sense, not. But you know what I mean? Killed multiple people. Serial dissolver. There you go. And uh, very skilled at it. So why he would be doing that at a house under his own name, uh, he's smarter than that. But uh, I, I, I did fall for it, though, when, he, when she goes home. And he, I knew he would be there. I thought, I thought again, she was making a dumb mistake. She didn't heed Fusco's advice uh, where, you know, the other guy had taken a, a, a nap. A, what was it? A carbon monoxide <laughs> nap. You know, Fusco's warning her. And then she goes home alone. She's going to jump in the shower. And I thought, I've seen this before. You know, Hitchcock nailed this <laughs> 60 years ago. So it was nice to see him open the door and her have the gun pointed at his melon. That was great. <laughs> And uh, and Silva's uh, this was her first kill. Ultimately, at the, they have to do they do have to take him out. Uh, hits her hard. Um, and I liked the couple again a couple of lines out of Fusco that uh, that he delivered very well. He says, "You remind me of a friend, two friends actually." And I'm thinking the one friend is uh, Josh Carter, and the other one would the other one be Reese. That was my thought on both of those counts, yeah. And then his other line, heroics ain't a job you carry easy. And that's, yeah. I think that's a, a, a something you wrote down in there. And and, and that's, you know, a, a, a great a great explanation of it. You know, they, being the hero is, you know, something that everybody wants to be. But, you know, it isn't all that uh, easy to, 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 to be sometimes. Well, and I thought it tied back into our band of heroes. I mean, they're really struggling right now with the possible loss of one of their own, and that's what happens when you're the hero. You you put you put heroes in the ground sometimes, mm-hmm. and uh, or you you're you're the hero, and you no one ever knows what you do for them. I mean, our our team machine guys do stuff all the time, and no one ever knows to tell them thank you, and that's a that's a burden to carry too. Whether you, you may say, yeah, I do it because I want to be a good person. Great. But it's still a burden to carry, you know, and, and uh, at least the responsibility of it maybe even, right? I mean, if I don't do this, X, Y, Z is going to happen. So there's a burden associated with it. And, and our, our band of heroes is really feeling that burden right now. And I, I loved that line. I thought it was wonderful. And by the way, Andrew B. in our chat room is correcting me and saying that they said that it was under a false name. And I, I don't know how I missed that, I, I, but I, but uh, thank you for correcting did, me. Yeah, did Harold uh, figure that out? That may may have been it. Yeah. Well, yeah, Harold figured it out. I found the house. I think Harold did, but I guess I missed the line where they state that it was under a false name. I I thought they said it was under his name, so that changes. I said that was one my worst, my least favorite thing of the of the episode. So that changes a little. So now bit. it's an eight for you, huh? <laughs> it's an eight for me thank you Andrew the one thing about this episode that I had a tough time with is that they really jumped back and forth a lot I mean it keeps the action going yep. you know when when there would be a lull over here we're going to jump over there and I, I, I just mm-hmm. this particular uh, you know I'm typing away like crazy in a little notes uh, document it's like man alive you know I can hardly keep up so uh, I, that, that's the one thing. It was kind of jarring to me sometimes. When, when they do this a lot. They, they jump back and forth, and I have no problem with it. But this particular episode seemed like uh, uh, like it was a little much. I don't know. Yeah, I could see that. I could do, I, yeah, I agree with that. All right, what else you got? I'm, Anything? I'm set. I am too. I'm too. Looking forward to next week. I, I kind of hope that our characters still don't find out about 
uh, Shaw next week. I know what I said, you know, earlier when I said I wanted to find out an episode before our heroes do, but I, I do still hope for their sake, to, <laughs> the good, for the story development that, that they have to wait a little bit longer. I didn't want to find out this soon. I, that's what yeah, I really yeah. wish would have happened. All right. Well, what do you have for surveillance, surveillance in the news? Surveillance in the news. Week? This one comes to us from Barb, our wonderful listener of the week. <laughs> and That's this right. is from a website called thehackernews.com. It's uh, GCHQ releases crypto toy. I'm sorry, Cryptoy app for kids to teach encryption. Uh, the byline or the headline there is part of the program by the UK's government communication headquarters, GCHQ, to work with schools to train up a new generation of spies and cryptographers. British government surveillance agency, GCHQ, counterpart of the NSA, has fired up another debate over the internet by launching Android applications to encourage teenagers to tackle emerging cybersecurity threats. The newly launched Android app dug, dubbed Cryptoy was developed by science, technology, engineering, and math students, STEM, on an industrial year placement at GCHQ. The Cryptoy app was highly appreciated and liked by GCHQ at the Cheltenham Science Festival that they made it available to download. And it's available right now, actually, in the uh, in the Google Google Play Store. The app is designed mainly to tempt youngsters between the ages of 14 and 16 into trying their hand in cryptography and code-breaking, but it can be used by anyone interested in cryptography. According to GCHQ, Cryptoy app will help users understand basic encryption methods, teach the codes of the past, and create their own encrypted messages. Uh, one of the spokesmen of the, from GCHQ said that the UK youngsters are needed to be motivated to take up subjects like math and computer science. If we're going to get the next generation of security experts, we need to be encouraging them to take up these subjects, she said at the conference where the app was introduced and announced. The agency said that Cryptoy was only, only asks for very limited permissions and is not at all a surveillance tool. Although revelations by Edward Snowden make us all think a hundred times before downloading and installing these apps. So yes, that's, um, uh, this is, I mean, cause remember the, we were talking about one tablet, you know, a tablet in every home kind of guy mm-hmm. at the very, uh, near yep. the beginning of the, uh, season. And uh, so now there's this, you know, we can turn your tablet or your phone into a crypt toy and uh, we can, uh, oh, no, no, there's no problems at all. We're not going to be as, (laughs) we're just going to teach you about uh, cracking codes and things like that. It almost, you know, it almost could be one of the uh, steps in that little game that uh, we saw at the very beginning where uh, Samaritan was recruiting people. If they could get through this whole game, then they would be yeah. recruited. So, yeah, thanks, Barb, yeah. for letting us know about that. I don't know if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Barb. <laughs> All righty. Well, that's something to think about. There's something to make you think or worry. All right. Well, let's get in some listener feedback. What do you say? Uh, I like it. All right, well, let's uh, continue the Barb theme, I guess, and uh, hear what she has to say for this week's episode. Hello, Daryl and Doug. This is Barb calling in with feedback on this week's POI Epi, MIA. I'll give this Epi 8.5 Uncle Milton Ant Farm (laughs) Kits. Okay, let me just say it. Daryl, you don't have to blame me. I was wrong, wrong, wrong. Again, in my theory, Shaw lives. I know you're happy that she's still alive. Me too. I just didn't expect it. It was very interesting to see that Samaritan had taken the next move on its giant chessboard. 
We should have expected that the evil machine would take its prior two-day experiment, when everything was perfect one day and a disaster the next, and expand it. Certainly Greer knows what the machine is doing, and although we saw key elements of his backstory, I'm still amazed that he would allow this to occur. The complete manipulation of people in a town? Doesn't he realize that he is no different to Samaritan than these good than the good folk of Maple? We also should have expected Samaritan to resurrect the people tracking project after the free laptops for kids experiment went up in smoke, literally, last year. But now instead of laptops, it's mass production of tiny transponders. More chilling were the cranial implants that we saw. I will say that I don't think that Shaw has one since her head wasn't shaved and there was no bandage around it. I'm sure Greer is planning to stabilize her and implant one, however, and send her back to kill her own team after she recovers from her gunshot wounds. Oh, another theory. Never mind. (laughs) It's about time for us to see Dominic and Elias again. Time for another turf battle. That would make a fun February sweeps, and it would give the writers an opportunity to use Danny Silva again. She and Fusco were fun to watch. That's it for this week. This is Barb signing out. And locking up my drill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Well, Barb said herself when we played her clip earlier that uh, she doesn't ever get these theories right. So she just proved it, I guess. <laughs> Thanks, bro. That was really good. Yeah, this is a uh, yeah. uh, this is a very tough uh, TV show to predict. You know, where the writer's going to go. They have, I mean, you know, a writer can do anything they want to do. They can, you know, fake left, go right, and, you know, and and come up with their own reasoning out of whole cloth all of a sudden, you know. But uh, Person of Interest has done a very good job. The, the writers for this uh, uh, TV show have been a great job with, you know, head, head faking one way, going the other, and making it look like that's, well, obviously that should have been the case. Um, so I think, yeah, we, we, what can we say? We, we, we can't guess these things. We can't, we don't know what's in their head. That's right. Makes it fun that way. All right. We got something from Doc H. I've got to, I, I've got to read this one. I love this one. I've gone okay. through it. It's hilarious. All right. All right. Now we talked about earlier how Doc said he had his rating for this was six cliches and half a craniotomy. Okay. So here right. they come. So he says, this is one of those episodes that I say to myself, what were they thinking? This is probably the worst writing I have seen on the show. It was just one lousy cliche after another. Here we go. Cliche number one. The people, the police chief of Maple, Wick, a flirty, grabby, sexual harassing, and corrupt law enforcement senior officer. So cliche. I thought these mooks went away when Dukes of Hazard was canceled. Ooh. Cliche number two. The corporate beard. Miss, I run the company, but I don't know anything. I felt insulted just having to watch her segments. <laughs> Cliché number three, Danny Silva, Internal Affairs. Her first story was great a few months ago, but this tripe, her self-image of a lone wolf super cop, is an awful cliché. And then they had the nerve to insult us with her feeling bad about killing her first perp. Oh, boo-hoo. Take grace knowing (laughs) you plugged a prolific mob hitman, i.e. serial killer. Cliché number four, Fusco, while he was generally true to form... That whole speech at the end of Silva after she used lethal force was blubber. It sounded like an episode of Barney Miller, and not a funny one, but one of the preachy, somber Barney Millers. Now, I gotta say, <laughs> I don't know how many of you remember Barney Miller. Clearly, Doc does. I don't think you, I'm sure you never saw any Barney Miller. 
Wasn't that the one where the guy moved to Beverly because he struck oil? <laughs> and became a cop? <laughs> no. No, am I no. getting something mixed no, up? I, but it, I, I will okay. say it, uh, it had Ron Glass in it, who was in um, later on in uh, Firefly, Firefly. Isn't it? But that's yeah. the first place that I remember seeing Ron Glass in a little sitcom about a police precinct. Okay. Cliché number five, Root. Yeah, we get it. You miss Shaw. We all do. We don't mind you mentioning it once an episode, but obsessing about Shaw in almost every scene, boring and banal. Cliché number six, almost ditto for Finch, but his obsessing is about tempering everyone else's grief and preparing Team Machine for the possibility Shaw will never return. I feel he's manipulating us, the audience, for that possibility. Stop, we already know. <laughs> by the time we got to the end yeah. of MIA my notes didn't have anything positive about the episode Reese was alright but we never got a super good Reese moment to delight in then the big moment came that almost flipped my opinion around about MIA when the machine called the payphone and Finch and Root looked at one another I was grinning from ear to ear awesome this episode has redeemed itself then in classic good news bad news fashion the message Sierra Tango Oscar Papa stop Arg. After that, I didn't even care if they showed Shaw. The best part of the show was the random Large Hadron Collider event between my ears. <laughs> I love the way you put that. When stray gamma radiation made me realize that Samantha Grove and Samin Shaw could both easily be nicknamed Sam, which made me think of Yosemite Sam, which made me think the rudeness, tootness, cunt, barn, shootness, etc., which made me think of my favorite NRA poster girls and gun aficionados, Root and Shaw, again. Sadly, and with little fanfare, I rated this episode six tired cliches and half a craniotomy. Deutsch. P.S. Schrodinger's cat killed this mouse of an episode. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> well, he may not have liked the episode, but I, I really enjoyed his uh, two cents on the... Uh on the episode that was fun I, stuff. I can't imagine if he ever comes across an episode that he absolutely hates what kind of uh, comedy we comedy gold we might run across in the uh, feedback yeah even set me up on a Beverly Hillbillies Barney Miller crossover <laughs> I mean we don't get that very often <laughs> well, never yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah all right well thank you Dotch this one comes in from Andrew is it Andrew R or Andrew B let's see or, or J. J rather well there's an Andrew B and an Andrew J who knows? There's so many Andrews. My goodness. If you're an Andrew, you must sign sure. your last initial. <laughs> there we go. Well, this is from one of the Andrews. This was quite a dark episode with the undercurrent from the previous episode moving to the foreground and a challenging perpetrator as the number of the week. Kevin Chapman had some good stuff here. It was cool to see Fusco as the voice of experience and nice to see how he's been affected by Shaw's fate. Speaking of experience... Reese's coldness about Mrs. Thompson following orders without questions harkens back to his conflict with Stanton. Root's ashen expression in that scene when the lead turns out to have been false was a little frightening, helped by the lighting, of course. I thought for a moment that she was about to kill Delia. Her off-screen rampage and Reese following was thrilling in a way similar to the gunfight with the ISA in the previous episode. I still think the previous three episodes hold up as a trilogy and that this one is sort of an epilogue 
Finch's description of Samaritan's operations in Maple was very reminiscent of what Samaritan did in the Cold War. His words to Root about hope add a wrinkle to Root's message about Pandora's box. I guess reminiscence is the theme of this feedback. In fairness, there's a lot of thematic weight in the episode. I like the reveal that Shaw is alive. I think the team knows or feels on some level that she is, and so the ending is impactful in making our feelings similar to theirs, that Shaw is out there, but out of reach. The machine seems to know she's alive, and I think withholding information makes more sense than lying, given that Harold killed an early iteration for just that. What's clear is that any means by which the team moves on is a difficult pill to swallow. And that again comes in from Andrew. I like that line. The machine seems to know she's alive, and I think withholding information makes more sense than lying, given that Harold killed an earlier iteration, he's speaking of an earlier machine, for doing just that. Right. If you lie to me, forget it. You, you were done. So I hadn't thought about that. It's a very interesting insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very insightful um, that email that he uh, he sent off. It was pretty cool, though, to see, or to hear, rather, Root going through the compound, just lamb-blasting, killing people, and, and not really seeing it, what was happening. Um, I think it was actually more impactful than having than if we had watched her do all of that. Might have seen, might have... Kind of left it up to our imagination. Yeah, it might have seemed almost unreal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we would love to have your feedback for next week's episode, which we are going to give you a preview for here in just a minute. But uh, the feedback information is 304-837-2278. That's the Golden Spiral Media voice feedback line. And you can also go over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. There you can either type out an email or upload an audio file or use the SpeakPipe widget. So there's lots of ways to get in touch with us. The deadline is Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. If you ever want to join us for the live podcast, we do that Thursdays at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. And that is goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. So please come join us. There's a chat room there. You can chat along with us. As we've mentioned, you know, throughout the podcast, folks that we're chatting with. You can follow us on Twitter at POI Podcast GSM and Facebook.com. We'd love to have you as part of our groups there. You can Discuss the episode with us. Give us your episode rating, as we've mentioned as well in this episode. That address is facebook.com slash groups slash person of interest GSM. All righty. Well, folks, we've got some information about next week. But first, from Doc H, we have a schedule here about when the uh, upcoming episodes are going to air. So get out your calendars. And here we go. So we're going to have an episode every Tuesday in February. So this whole month, we're set. Alrighty, so we're going to be with you every month. Then we have a break. I think these are all just one-week breaks. Uh, yeah. And then we have two episodes in a row, March 10th and March 17th. Then we have another break. And then we have episode 19 on March 31st. And then we have two weeks off. And then we wind up with the final three, 2021 and 22, on April 21st, 28th, and May 5th. So write that down, get that in your uh, calendar there so nobody misses anything. And then, of course, the following Thursday, here we are at 8 o'clock. Indeed. And you can get on the, the, uh, the live page here and chat with us and tell us uh, where we uh, messed up. <laughs> <laughs> That's Alrighty. right. We need that. We, we do appreciate it. 
Okay, next week, here we go. The headline is, The Machine Sends Finch on His Toughest Assignment Yet, Jury Duty. Episode name is Guilty. When the machine arranges for Finch to sit on the jury of a murder trial, he begins to suspect that a fellow juror is set to rig the proceedings. Meanwhile, Reese begins to open up to the department's therapist. On person of interest. Oh, that should be interesting. Let's talk about the therapist. Yeah, I guess we're going to get her no, back, right, it sounds like. You're going to, you know, head shrink, uh, good old Reese there, find out what's going on with him. We have the usual regular mm-hmm. cast. Um, Sarah Shahi is listed, but I'm wondering uh, if uh, perhaps she's listed as, you know, a contra- contractual thing. She always has to be listed because she is signed up for the whole uh, uh, the whole season. So, yeah, maybe. Right. We have recurring casts. Paige Turco's back as Zoe Morgan, so we're going to bring her in on this uh, situation. Wow, that's been a long time since we've seen it Zoe. It is. I, I, it's like, oh my goodness, when's the last time we saw her? It was, the, it was last season, clearly, but I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Wow, was it post? Been a was while. Was it uh, post-Carter uh, death? or? I think it's before no, that. I I, I'm not even sure if it was last season. Maybe it was. <laughs> There was an episode where she and Reese went out to the suburbs to do an undercover yeah, yeah, deal. Yeah, well, there's also the one. That's the last there time was I one can that uh, was uh, kind of referred to as uh, Finch's Angels, where the uh, she and Carter and Shaw go to a nightclub to try to, you know, lure a guy in and deal with him. I don't know, it's been a while. Oh, and yeah. then there's another um, a character named. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry. The character's name is Iris, and I don't remember where this is from. the The actress's name is Ren. Schmidt, but I do not know. Iris does sound familiar, but as you're looking that up, I can tell you're busy with that. We'll also have guest Blair Brown. Those of you who are Fringe fans will remember uh, her from that. She is going to play mm-hmm. Emma. She's going to kind of. We've seen some uh, pictures with the uh, of the you know the promotional shots, and she is in that already. So uh, Nina is going to show up as Emma. Nina Sharp is back. Will she have both arms? Tune in <laughs> next week and find out. Yes, indeed. It was. It's going to be written by, or was written by David Slack, directed by Karen Woods, and so there you are. Guilty is next week. We got something every week in February. Yes, should be good. Can't wait for it. Looking forward to watching it. Looking forward to podcasting about it with you, Doug. And again, join us for the live show Thursdays, eight o'clock Eastern. GoldenSpiralMedia.com/slash/live chat room webcam on. It'll be a great time. You'll be glad you did. That's right. All right. Well, I think that is going to do it for this episode. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to this episode of uh, Person of Interest Podcast. I guess I should put a plug in real quick because it's been a, a couple weeks since we were on. We've launched a couple of podcasts here at Golden Spiral Media since last you and I spoke, Doug, we have the 12 Monkeys Uncaged, which is hosted by Corey Metcalf from Australia. He does our Triplecast podcast. And Mike R., who does uh, the Extant podcast in the summertime. He and Mike, uh, he's Mike. He and Dave are doing the Shield, Agents of Shield podcast, The Sandbox. So Mike and, and uh, Corey have teamed up for 12 Monkeys Uncaged, which is a great show on sci-fi. I'm very much enjoying 12 Monkeys. And for all of you horror fans, film buffs out there, we have Fright Club, which is hosted by Hope and George. 
uh, Doug, they were friends of ours over on TV Talk. They did the following and oh, American okay. Horror Story. Some more, some more TV Talk refugees. Okay, yeah, they're they're so good at what they do. So check out Fright Club and check out Twelve Monkeys Uncaged. You can find those easy subscribe links over at goldenspiralmedia.com/slash/subscribe and uh, go check them out. And that's it, I think. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. And until then, I'm Daryl. And I'm going to go check to make sure I haven't been secretly implanted with a neural transmitter. And I'm Doug saying if your number comes up, we hope there's a man in a suit watching over you eating funnel cake that he got from the town fair.